Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Minds on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today is the second part of my conversation with Pete McCleary, who is also a licensed clinical social worker, as well as the clinical manager for adult programming at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in Eatontown, New Jersey. Today, Pete and I are once again talking about self-esteem, but we're focusing more on what steps people should take if they're interested in building their self-esteem. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and find it helpful. If we can think about it sort of simply, can you think of ways that you would normally encourage people if they had this idea that they have low self-esteem? What can they do to kind of work on that? So, I mean, I think the main thing for a lot of listeners or, or just individuals is that oftentimes we're not, we might pinpoint our self-esteem or just our own self-worth as something that we need to work on. But oftentimes the first thing we're going to notice is that there are situations in our life that we are finding very triggering, right? Very stressful. Um, we could have a new job responsibility where maybe we have to do public speaking or mm-hmm. um, we have a new boss that we feel is evaluating us very critically. We could be going into a new school or going into college or switching majors. All of these things will create a lot of self-doubt about our own ability to achieve and accomplish the goals that are kind of put in front of us. So that might be where a lot of people start to conceptualize like, oh man, maybe there's something I could do, Uh, go to a therapist, you know, seek help to improve how I'm feeling and how I'm managing these situations. Mm -hmm. And you know what, I'm actually reminded of Again, the the first part of this conversation that we had, and this is, I think, a good distinction to make. It's almost like self-doubt versus self-esteem, right? Because you kind of pointed out to me, I gave the example that I'm not a great handyman, right? I'm not good at, um, you know, doing home projects or like working on my car. But I also said that I realized that I never really spent too much time trying to get better at that. And I realized that I probably could get better at it if I actually tried you said then that I actually have pretty good self-esteem of when I think about it, because I'm not saying that I'll never be good at it. I'm just saying, you know, I've never really tried to increase my competency in that skill. Um, so it's almost more like. So, well, hold on. Let me, let me, let me jump in here. Um, yes. So when you talked about your example of home improvement. And I told you, it sounds like you you do believe you could get better. What we're really getting at is not the home improvement skill. It's the skills that go into the home improvement skill, right? Like you think you are smart enough to learn how to do it. And so your own evaluation of your intelligence and your ability to learn and copy and eventually develop a sense of mastery over new things. Like I could learn how to hammer a nail. I could learn the steps to installing drywall, mm-hmm. allow you to believe that over time with practice, you could get better. Right. right. And like I had given the golf example, like I've been pretty good at sports my whole life. I don't play golf, but I bet you if I did for two months, I could get much better than I am now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, mm-hmm. that's because I trust my physical abilities. Right. Just like you would trust your, you know, mental capabilities of learning the steps to master a new task. Right. But I think, if you look at what an individual who is struggling in an area, um, if if part of my job at work said, hey, Pete, you have to start singing a jingle every week, <laughs> that would be very um, difficult for me, 
right? That, that is a very different response that I would have uh, than if, you know, work told me I had to start playing golf with uh, potential, you know, business partners or something like that. Right, right. So I think what we want to talk about now is if I was having that same thought, I'm not great at home improvement stuff, I'm not great at handyman skills, and I'll never be able to get better at it. That's the part that we want to talk about how you can start, how can you work on that sort of negative thought process? I want to talk about that now. Like, how could you start to work on changing that? Well, I mean, I think this is where having a therapist is super helpful because Mm -hmm. a lot of times this stuff gets very layered, right? So having a trained professional who can start to sift through and read between the lines and start to kind of make a mental catalog of what's really happening is, is super helpful. So let's assume you're an individual who says, you know what, I, I'm recognizing that I have a lot of anxiety, I have a lot of avoidance, and I just, I don't feel like my life's on track. You know, mm-hmm. I think if that's where we're starting, um, this is where you really want to get help on, on your self-esteem. Because, mm-hmm. hey, for a lot of us, if you don't feel like your life's on check, you don't wait to say that to yourself. You just start making changes, right? Ah, you know what? I'm going to go for a run today. You know what? I'm going to start looking for jobs. But if you don't think you can do that, hey, talk to a therapist. So it starts mm-hmm. with, uh, I go to therapy. I start identifying what is going on in my life. What are the events, the situations, the conditions that are really presenting a challenge for me to handle, right? Like, is it school? Is it work? Is it uh, uh, my family or friend group? Mm-hmm. Um, is it you know my rela- you know is it my intimate relationship? You know like my romantic relationships. Uh, is it my relationship? With, is it my kids? Or I don't know. Am I a bad parent? It could be a whole host of things. But it starts with identifying like roles of your life that you're feeling are like moving out of your control. Yeah, I th- I think it's about identifying those problems or those areas in your in your life, um, but also identifying those situations that make you feel like, again, like in the example that I gave earlier, that you don't feel like you can improve them. Right. So, I mean, that kind of moves us into, uh, I would say like the next step of like how you would work on your self-esteem, right? Is that first you start to look at the events, the actual situations that you find yourself in. Then the se- the next step is to start looking inwards. Like, okay, how do I think and what do, what am I feeling about these different situations? And it's not just identifying the scene in your head. It's it's thinking that emotional response like, this is really terrible. I can't manage it. I'm never going to be able to do this. Those thoughts that kind of stem from the stressful events in our life become the target, which is, you know, really what we would focus on in therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. So once you identify sort of the particular situation that you're talking about in therapy, you would start to work on the thought process with the person. So you know what, Pete, I actually think this would probably work much better if we could think of like an example. So what if we think about this in terms of an example of someone who maybe just got a new job and they found out that there's going to be a lot of public speaking involved with their job. So they're, they're feeling less confident about it. Does that make sense? Sure. So let's say you're going into your first uh, event where you're going to have to pitch something and, and in that you have to speak. Um, so 
an example of a thought you might have is if if I don't pull this off, I'm never going to be able to do this job. Mm-hmm. Right. So notice I've tied my entire ability to stay at my job, to stay employed, to remain successful, to pay my bills all on this one public speaking event that hasn't even happened yet. So imagine one where my confidence is at. No, talk about no pressure. Right. And then, you know, my level of stress and and I'm, it doesn't even the way I even phrase that, while it might be somewhat true, like, yes, I do need to succeed at this. I've already framed it in a way that basically says don't fail. Uh, or else. Right. You framed it in a way that makes it the most scary possible way. Like it's a 10 out of 10 in terms of how terrible it would be if you failed. Basically your whole, your whole life would start spiraling downhill if you didn't nail this, this meeting that you were about to walk into. Oh, for sure. And you know, what you're going to hear us talk about over the next couple of minutes, right, is cognitive distortions. I mean, Mm -hmm. so if you've ever been in therapy or if you are uh, keyed into those terms. These are where cognitive distortions come in. And to an individual, a therapist included, I know, Andy, you've probably had thoughts like this, just like I have. Mm-hmm. Um, these are part of being human. This isn't a sign of a mental disorder, per se. You're not abnormal. We all do this to an extent, which is why having a therapist listen to you is so important, right? Because mm-hmm. the therapist is going to wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What did you just say? How did you overgeneralize that? Because these thoughts and that snowballing effect of the thoughts in our head, they just they just come so fast. Our brains are so quick to process that they, they're able to kind of go multi-step really quickly. And while that's really good sometimes to be able to think seven steps ahead, when we're nervous or we're worried, it can really feel like all of a sudden there's a mountain in front of us. Sure. So... Um... Like you said, these things are called cognitive distortions, and people can just Google that if they want like a list of the different ones um, that that are out there. This idea was sort of popularized in cognitive behavioral therapy, but it, again, it's these these unhelpful thinking patterns that logically don't really make sense, but uh, when we're thinking about them in a moment where maybe we're a little nervous or a little anxious, uh, they seem very real. Sure. And even to piggyback off of that, why this is so difficult for individuals is because within cognitive distortions, uh, you brought up that idea of logic. Well, there's cognitive distortions to defeat logic as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we one of the distortions, you know, we do like mental filtering where we take the evidence that works in our favor and we discount it, right? Sure. Where we say right. like, you know what? I only passed that test because the whole class did really bad. So the with the curve I passed. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. well, the only reason I, you know, got an okay job review last time was because my boss didn't see the time I didn't really do it right. And we right. make reasons why actually we're worse than we think we are. And when the environment is actually giving us counter evidence to like bolster us up, we're just not ready to accept that yet. Right. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So those are some really good examples of cognitive distortions. Basically, you can work with a therapist to identify the ones that seem to be popping up for you. And that's kind of a good first step in managing the situation or in working to start increasing that self-esteem. Absolutely. And again, therapists are important, right? Because for, for many of us, we go to our friends and family for support. And the problem is that they want to support us, but we know that 
and we know that they mm. probably will support us regardless. So we enact a cognitive distortion to filter out their praise, right? Right. So you have like your negative thoughts and the cognitive distortions that come along with them. And then underlying that is this idea of core beliefs. And do you just want to touch on that, what that is? Because I think when we're talking about self-esteem, largely that's where the meat and potatoes are. That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. So when you're working within therapy, especially if you're working within CBT, you're really, we're really interested in looking at the thought patterns and the feeling patterns, right? And for some mm -hmm. of us who are familiar with CBT, you know there's this triangle and they look at how the thoughts and feelings and behaviors have this cool interplay. But under it, kind of what, what causes thoughts to even manifest are these deeper held beliefs, which are like core beliefs, right? And for people with overarching lower self-esteem or more fragile self-esteem, the core beliefs really are the focus of therapy, right? So mm -hmm. to make it super simple, there's usually considered like two or three, and it's this idea of being like unworthy or unlovable um, being at the core root. And if you think about how the kind of surface level thoughts reflect on this, um, a lot of them come from this idea that as a human, if we are not doing what everyone else needs, that we are not fundamentally likable or lovable enough for them mm -hmm. to tolerate it. Does that mm -hmm. kind of make sense, Andy? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're a therapist. You want to add anything to that? No, I, I would just say that I do think that sort of in this overarching conversation of, of self-esteem that we're having, this area that we're kind of playing in now, where we're talking about core beliefs, there is uh, a really big connection between your core beliefs and your self-esteem. Because um, if I, at the end of the day, feel like I'm a good person, um, if I, at the end of the day, feel like I am lovable, those are my core beliefs. Generally speaking, I'm going to have pretty healthy self-esteem. Whereas if you don't feel like that at the end of the day, chances are, your self-esteem is going to take a big hit. Sure. So if we think about how, how do we actually go about fixing this, right? Uh, there's no home run swing. Because right. again, the weird concept of low self-esteem is that if you think about it in terms of survival, it's trying to make us not bite off more than we can chew. Sure. And it's, it's trying to make sure that we don't set ourselves up for more failure. So... Mm. My self-esteem is saying, hey, don't be the first one to volunteer for karaoke because nobody wants to hear that, <laughs> uh -huh. right? Nobody wants you to get up there and ruin the night by sounding like a cat's dying in an alley. So, Or, I, like for me personally, I would love to hear that and also ah, record it and post it on the internet. So, But you see, there's distortions going on in my mind because <laughs> I, my, my, well, there's a part of me, I guess now, right? Because I'm, I'm saying it. Mm. Um, that is able to know that other people would probably find it funny. I just wouldn't feel the most comfortable. Right. <laughs> um, but for other people with lower self-esteem, and think about it, the more times that you have been um, hurt by mm -hmm. the example. So if I got three uh, less than stellar performance reviews in a row, it is really hard for me to trust that the next time I could do better, especially if I tried, right? So self-esteem has this kind of, 
uh, weird, almost like scar tissue approach where it's, it can be super rigid and it, it usually comes once we've been a little banged up and, and we've learned it from the environment. So we get very hesitant to ever put it down. But the main goal really is to just like, uh, if we think about it as like this scar tissue approach, mm -hmm. we have to do like mental physical therapy, really kind of like knead it and work at it slowly. And we do this by working backwards through the cognitive distortions, right? So, hey, if we can start to become aware of these little ways that we kind of put ourselves at the disadvantage, um, the ways that we kind of discount the successes that we have or the way that we put, we mount a lot of pressure on one or two specific results that maybe we don't even have full control over. We can start the process of working back towards a more optimal sense of self-worth. And really in this area, the main goal is not that we're always going to succeed. I mean, in these areas, I know it's very easy to say, all right, find the thing that you don't feel good at and then dive in until you feel more confident. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's not always about success, right? Like we're really trying to work on ways that we can fail safely without our head and our thought process really turning on ourselves. Yeah, I like that concept of being able to fail safely. So when you say that, what what exactly does that mean to you? So it's it's the ability to frame what you are trying to do as progress, right? And in some ways, we're really good at this. If I said, hey, Andy, you mentioned before that you've been really into running before. Mm -hmm. Well, if I haven't gone running in a while, for me to go out and try to do 10 miles today would set me up to fail, mm -hmm. right? For me to even do one mile for some of us could set us up to fail, right? So the main thing is you want to be able to say, hey, this is a process, right? If I, if I truly think my worth in this area is low, I can't go from low to high in one time. That's silly. I would have done it on my own, you know, at some point in my life. But I have to understand that me trying um, over time will work towards a better future. But right now, it is okay. Like the process enough is the success, the outcome I can fail on. Yeah. 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 That, that makes sense. So, um, being more focused on the process and being less focused on the results. I can realize that maybe I go, if I'm not super into running, maybe today I'll go out and I'll try to run a half a mile and maybe I have to stop before I can get there. Maybe I have to stop at quarter of a mile. Well, the important thing isn't that I ran a quarter of a mile. The important thing is that I went out and I tried and I did some of it and that I'm going to do it again tomorrow or the next day. The process of doing that is more important, less so the result of not having reached my goal of half a mile. Sure. And I think so. that's a perfect uh, point, right? That sometimes when we do this, we're not going to reach our initial goal because we don't sometimes know how to set an appropriate initial goal. Mm -hmm. So having a, a kind of modest approach is always helpful. The idea is if you've started something that you haven't done before, whether it's talking to your boss about a raise you think you deserve, and maybe the first time you try, it goes nowhere and he mm -hmm. doesn't even realize or she doesn't even realize that you're asking for something, mm -hmm. that's okay, right? If you give up after that time, you've reinforced low self-esteem. But if you can say, you know what? All right, that didn't work. Do I still care? Do I still want to try? Yes. What do I have to do? Um, that's part of the process and recognizing how your brain might immediately say, this is never going to work. Well, that's the thought you got to catch. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then say like, well, that's not helpful. Um, maybe it will never work. Am I still willing to try? The other one that can be really hard, you know, you mentioned one of, again, if we think about one of the things you felt pretty good on was your physical fitness and your relationship to being able to be healthy. And for some of us, life sometimes has a nasty way of, of taking that away. Like, could you imagine if all of a sudden you had to um, take a job that seriously interfered with your fitness regimen, or maybe you had uh, a medication you had to take that all of a sudden made you gain a lot of weight, right? So these areas where sometimes it feels like the world pushes something in front of your self-worth, um, uh, the pandemic, right? Let's think about that. A lot of people lost their jobs. Right. That's a huge blow to your self-esteem. And there's a lot of thoughts because, you know, the person may have been great. They could have been employee of the year and then their company closes and they can't get a new job. Right. Right. So in those areas, um, it, the cognitive distortions some, sometimes make it be a, uh, or make us think that we did something wrong or that the world has set us up to no longer succeed. And it's learning how to shift, right? And depending on how long we've done something or how old we are or where we are at in life, that shift can be, you know, really challenging to manage on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think one thing that I kind of might add to this conversation, if we're talking about how to work on your self-esteem or how to increase your self-esteem is maybe if we're talking about like your global self-esteem, not necessarily your self-esteem in one area, but just feeling good about yourself, um, feeling pretty confident in your abilities. I might say a good place to start is to start somewhere where you're somewhat comfortable. Um, Like if you feel like you're a decent cook, maybe spending a little bit more time doing that and then um, maybe having people over for a big meal um, and kind of nurturing that skill that you're already somewhat comfortable with and slowly getting better at it since you already enjoy it you're already somewhat comfortable with it Um, and then as you get better and better that process like we talked about it's it's the it's the process not necessarily the uh, the outcome Uh, but just going through that process of slowly getting better at something and feeling more competent at something that will translate over to other areas. Um, so, it, it, for example, like if I feel like, you know, maybe um, six months ago, I was I was a decent cook, but I wasn't great. But then I started, like I went to a class and I really improved my skills. I had people over for a big meal um, and they all loved it. Well, then that thought that I'm I'm good at something and when I really uh, made it a point to try to improve at it, I got better. That idea that I can get better at things if I try could transfer over to another area of your life. So I think there is some value in starting in a place where you're already somewhat comfortable if you kind of want to increase your global self-esteem, if that makes sense. Just trying to pick something. And I think cooking can be a really great example because, hey, you know what? Can you read? then you can follow the concrete steps. Right? right, right, exactly. And if you've always felt like you've been struggling, you know, some of us, school was a terrible experience and then, you know, bullies and all that stuff. I mean, hey, a lot of people have been there. 
where society hasn't exactly made feel great and then relationships don't always go great. And if you're one of those individuals, therapists are a great place to start because they'll listen, they'll read between the lines. And just as you pointed out, you start to figure out small areas where you can make inroads into proving to yourself that you are more capable than you think.